a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me again today as we learn more about spiritual warfare. We've come to the fifth video in our spiritual warfare series, and today we're looking, first of all, at the breastplate of righteousness. Attached to his belt, which we've already looked at, the belt of truth, the Roman soldier wore a breastplate, and that breastplate protected him from being stabbed or hacked with a sword. So the breastplate enabled him to stay in the battle and fight more effectively by protecting his internal vital organs from a mortal wound. Well, as Christians, God wants us to realize that we have a breastplate too. And he calls it, of course, it's a spiritual breastplate. He calls it the breastplate of righteousness. It's a breastplate that protects us from mortal wounds that might be inflicted by Satan and his demons if we didn't have it in place. And when he tells us it's the breastplate of righteousness, by putting this together with other parts of Scripture, we know very clearly he means the righteousness which we receive from Christ. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's a gift, a gift from God to us that was made possible by the fact that when he was on the cross, Jesus took our sins on himself. He took our sins. He became sin for us, and he made what we call the great exchange for us. He takes our sins and he exchanges for our sins his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. It's an amazing thing. So here in Ephesians 6, he says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. And it turns out that putting on the breastplate of righteousness protects us from two of Satan's favorite avenues of attack. First of all, it protects us from pride. Now, that's very important, and you need to understand this, so listen carefully. This is what I mean. When we Christians get serious about our walk with God, what happens is God begins to use us to get glory for himself, right? That's a good thing. And as we begin to get more and more involved in the study of God's word and our devotion to him, and maybe we get more involved in different kinds of ministries or missions or spiritual projects of various kinds, and maybe as we get more faithful to share what God's teaching us, share that with others, and especially if other Christians start recognizing that God's doing some good things in our lives, well, our enemy will start whispering some dangerous things to us. Let me tell you how that works. At first, when God starts using us, we say, wow, I'm growing in the Lord. God's really using me. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I mean, that's, that could be very true. And there's nothing wrong with those thoughts. Nothing wrong with saying that. It's wonderful. But watch out what Satan may try to slip into our minds next. He may try to slip in thoughts like, what would these people do without me? <laughs> or, or maybe, wow, all this attention that other people are starting to give me makes me feel pretty good. <laughs> 
Or maybe, whoa, I think I know more than a lot of these older Christians. <laughs> and we got to be really careful there because we're teetering around on the brink of something very dangerous. We're in danger of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And that's dangerous. You remember what Paul wrote to Timothy about choosing spiritual leaders? He said, Timothy, make sure he's not a recent convert because he might become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He realized that for younger Christians who are growing strong in the Lord, there's this danger, there's a stage there especially. It's, it's really true for all of us, but especially for younger Christians who really start growing, there's a danger of spiritual pride. Take me seriously, guys. Pride can be very, very subtle. It can be very hard to recognize in ourselves. Now, you need to take that by faith. Because if you don't feel proud, you may think, I'm not, I'm not got a pride problem. And you really may have a pride problem. You may need, if you're married, you may need your spouse to help you see it. Or if you're not married, maybe a mentor of some kind or a very close friend in Christ. But someone who's willing to be brutally honest with you. We need people to help us see this. And unless they're really close to us, unless they really love us, unless they're willing to take a risk with us, they probably won't tell us. You see what I'm saying? And we'll have a blind spot there that will cause us to fall. So that's one reason God wants us to have this breastplate. He wants us to have his righteousness clearly in place. If we're wearing his righteousness as a breastplate, what that means is we'll recognize that we have no righteousness of our own. We'll realize we can do nothing good in our own strength. Our righteousness is a gift from him. Therefore, we have absolutely no basis for this dumb, foolish spiritual pride that Satan would like to hand over to us. <laughs> when we're wearing his breastplate, it may still be that people will try to tell us how good we're doing. <laughs> and we appreciate the encouragement, but we'll know at that point, if we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we'll know it's not really us. You see what I'm saying? I mean, encouragement's a good thing. We thank God for encouragement. We want to be encouragers. God loves encouragers. He's given some people that spiritual gift. But when we receive the encouragement, we need to be careful that we don't turn it into pride, that we pass that praise on to the Lord. We'll realize it's not me. It's really not me. It's Jesus in me. It's his righteousness. It's his doing, not my own. There are Christians out there who think they're just demonstrating spiritual confidence. Or maybe they think they're just speaking with authority, you know. <laughs> when in truth, they're, they're falling into pride. They're demonstrating a spirit of pride. It's very dangerous and very subtle, very hard to recognize. But the breastplate of his righteousness will give us that right perspective and protect us from that stuff. Here are a few verses that may help. For example, Romans chapter 12, For by grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, <laughs> but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Proverbs 16, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Matthew 18, Jesus said, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. First Peter chapter 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is so destructive, and we must have that breastplate of His righteousness well in place. 
But listen, guys, there's something else that the breastplate of righteousness can protect us from. If you want to, you can think of it as the other ditch. You know, we've talked a lot about the straight and narrow and the ditches on either side and how we tend to fall in one ditch because we're trying not to fall in the other ditch. Remember all that? Well, if pride is one ditch and the other ditch can be kind of a feeling of condemnation and the breastplate of righteousness can protect us from that too. Satan would like to make us feel condemned. Here's how it works. If, he, if we let him do it, Satan would be glad to put some overwhelming but very vague kind of vague, general, non-specific feelings of condemnation and guilt on all, any of God's kids he can do it to. He, he loves to pile guilt on people, just a feeling of guilt, a feeling of condemnation. Now, sometimes that's the result of real past sins. We committed sins in the past. They were horrible. We realized they were horrible. They're embarrassing. We realized they were embarrassing, but we confessed them. And they've been cleansed away by the blood of Jesus. And now Satan would like for us to feel condemned about those things. Sometimes people can feel condemned because of temptation itself. You know, they confuse temptation with sin. We've talked about this before, but Satan loves to tempt us and then to whisper, you are so rotten. What kind of Christian are you to let yourself be tempted like that with that horrible sin? But guys, please remember Temptation is not sin. We've talked about this before, but don't get that confused. It often leads to sin, which is tragic, but it doesn't have to. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4 that even Jesus was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet without sin. He makes that very clear in Hebrews chapter 4. But if we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we can be paralyzed by feelings of unworthiness and worthlessness and hopelessness and discouragement because of past failures or just because Satan is hitting us temptations. Of course, we're being tempted. All Christians are tempted. The farther you go in Christ, the more he's going to try to tempt you to fall. So don't let the temptations themselves make you feel overwhelmed with condemnation. But we can get to the place where we feel so awful and so undeserving, which, of course, we are. you got to watch the balance here. But we'll say, I couldn't expect anything from the Lord. I'm, I'm, un I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. I and Satan knows that many Christians are susceptible to defeat right here. It's easy for him to make some people feel so guilty and so unworthy that they think, the Lord can't use me. <laughs> and he's done a lot of damage with this weapon on God's people. I can remember right now, I can, I can picture this in my own mind. I, I was there. I heard a man. This was in a church meeting. I heard him say, he, he was a very active church member. He'd been a church member for many, many years. You would assume he may have grown strong in the Lord. But I heard him say with my own ears, he would never presume to try to tell anybody else about Jesus. Because he said, I am so unworthy. There's no way I could tell anybody else about Jesus. I'm not worthy to do that. <laughs> Satan had him defeated. You see what I'm saying? He didn't understand the gift of the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate of righteousness keeps the spiritual warriors balanced between these two ungodly extremes. Here's some more verses you may want to pray back to God to make sure the breastplate of righteousness is in place. Isaiah 64. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, <laughs> that's a hard word to say, try saying it fast three times, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
And we do all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We don't have any righteousness to offer. It's like filthy rags to God. Now, some of you might be wondering, Steve, how exactly do you pray that back to God? What does that mean when you say pray it back to God? Well, just as an example, you might say, Father, talking to God, Father, I don't come to you because of my own righteousness. I know I don't deserve to come to you. You told me through Isaiah, all my righteousnesses are like filthy rags. My righteousness is worthless. I only come because of Jesus' righteousness. So because of Jesus' righteousness, I can come boldly. We'll look at that scripture in a minute. Another thing we can do is remember the compound name. You remember we considered that earlier in, in, in one of the Belt of Truth videos and say, Father, I, I acknowledge that you're Jehovah Tidkenu. You're Jehovah Tidkenu. You're the eternal God, my righteousness. You are my righteousness. That's from Jeremiah 23, 6. Here's another powerful verse, 2 Corinthians 5. For he has made him, talking about God the Father, made God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He knew no sin. But he took our sin on him. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Awesome verse. And then you may remember how the great chapter 8 of Romans begins. There is therefore now... What? Can you finish it? There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. This might be a good time to remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly into God's presence because of Christ's righteousness. You see how that works? How can I come boldly in the presence of God? Certainly not on my own righteousness. Too much sin. My righteousness is like filthy rags, but on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Listen, I hope you realize that when it comes to sin, we've all blown it, right? We've talked about this a lot. We've blown it, and we've blown it badly. Don't think you're good. <laughs> we've all messed up. We've all messed up big time. All of us. And listen, even those who don't think they've blown it badly, have blown it badly. I'm telling you guys, there are no exceptions to this. So here's what I'm trying to say. We must never, ever think that we're good enough to be useful to God. But listen, this is so important. By His grace, we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been declared to be righteous in Christ Jesus. That's just who we are. So listen, just as we must never think that we are good enough to be useful to God. In the same way, we must never think that we are not good enough to be useful to God. Did you hear that? Are you listening? <laughs> hear the difference. We must never think that we're good enough to be useful to God. And we must never think that we are not good enough to be useful to God. Satan would like to whip us either way. He's the one who equips us. God's the one who equips us with the gift of his righteousness. He declares us righteous in spite of our weakness, in spite of our past failures. He uses us anyway because we are in Christ. Christ has forgiven us our sins and he's given us his righteousness. Awesome. All right, next we come to verse 15 in the shoes of peace. Let's read it again. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, I know that some have interpreted this verse as reminding us that we should always be ready to share the gospel. I can see where people might get that idea. And of course, it's certainly true. We should always be ready to share the gospel, right? Yeah, we should always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's in us. We ought to be telling everybody about Jesus. But in this particular verse, I believe the focus word is peace. The gospel, of course, the word gospel means good news. The gospel is the gospel of peace, the good news of God's peace. And we need to be prepared with the good news of God's peace. The Roman soldier knew the importance of sturdy footwear. Roman soldiers often had to endure long, long marches. Their footwear had to last. And in the middle of the battle, they needed to be really confident that their footwear would give them the stability they needed, you see, to stand firm, to stay in the battle. Otherwise, they'd go down. If the footwear is unreliable, they'd be immobilized. They wouldn't be able to do anything. It'd be useless. They'd be dead. They wouldn't be able to stay in the battle. Well, Satan has a tactic designed to immobilize God's people. It's another one of Satan's favorite weapons. And the weapon is fear which includes different kinds of worry or anxiety or maybe stress or intimidation that tends to paralyze us. And our enemy knows that very well. So if we don't have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the good news of God's peace that we can find only in our Lord Jesus Christ, we'll find ourselves immobilized with fear, anxiety, worry, Fear and worry and anxiety, that kind of junk will quickly take us right out of the battle. It will immobilize us. So examine yourself for a minute right now. Do you ever find yourself struggling with that stuff? Fears? Worries? Well, I'm, I'm telling you guys, you need to memorize these verses. We're going to look at several verses from God's Word. I know, I said memorize. That's a dirty word to some of you. But you need to get past that, guys. I know it takes discipline. It takes energy. It takes time. It takes work. Lots of it to memorize things. But here's how it works, guys, if you will commit yourself to it. I'm not talking about hours and hours every day. I'm talking about just a few minutes every day. Let God help you figure out what you're supposed to memorize. Work on it a few minutes every day. You'll be surprised what God can do with your memory I don't care how weak you think it is. It may be pretty weak right now. Maybe may kind of flabby, but it can get in shape if you'll just commit yourself to it. God will use his word to give you victory over these sins, fear, anxiety, and worry. Now, once again, as I've already done before, I'm going to include a link to these verses at AboundingJoy.com so you can see them yourself. You can print them if you want to and pick some of them out to start with for, for your memory work. But it's God's word, and it needs to be in here. <laughs> In our hearts. Remember, one of God's names is Jehovah Shalom. You remember that from the Belt of Truth study? He's the eternal God, my peace. He is our peace. That's from Judges chapter 6. The Bible says that Jesus is our peace. In this case, he's talking about the peace that tears down the barrier separating all people in groups. We're all one in Christ. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. For he is our peace 
who has made both one, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There are no more barriers. God doesn't want us to see each other as different groups of people. We're all one in Christ. We're all the same in Jesus. We're all made in the image of God, and we're all remade and recreated and reborn in the image of Christ. Doesn't matter what our skin color, doesn't matter what our language, doesn't matter what our cultural heritage, we're all one in Christ. God's given us that peace. Romans 16 says, the God of peace, there it is, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. John 14, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Romans 8, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Philippians 4, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Romans 8 again, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, Greek is created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 10, My father who gave them me is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Joshua 1, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 34, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. <laughs> they looked into him, and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him, and delivers them of taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Psalm 56, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Psalm 119, great peace. Have they who love your law, nothing shall offend them. Isaiah 41, fear not, fear not. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Matthew 28, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. John 16, These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. 
that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. <laughs> I've overcome the world. Romans 5, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given unto us. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Hebrews 13, let your conversation, which means manner of life, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, guys, we've been reading God's word. This is God's word. I didn't make this up. Another man didn't make it up. God gave it to us in his word. And if you've been listening to it at all, you'll probably realize how powerful these words can be for driving out fear and driving out worry and driving out anxiety and replacing these things with God's peace, calmness and confidence in him. Now, here's the problem. You hear me repeat them. And it sounds good, but it kind of, as they say, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you don't have them memorized yet. They won't stick in your heart. They don't become a part of you. They aren't handy for the Spirit to bring to mind when you need them the most. You say, Steve, are you saying I should memorize all these? That's a lot of verses. Look, I'm just saying get started, okay? Get started. Pick one, memorize it, and then when you've got it thoroughly memorized, pick another one, memorize it. You remember how the pygmy ate the elephant, don't you? <laughs> one bite at a time. That's the way you memorize God's Word. But your feet must be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, or Satan will have you immobilized with fear, anxiety, and get you completely out of the battle. He knows how to bring circumstances into your life. That will cause fear. And God will let him do it because he's trying to teach you how to handle fear. How to have his peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, before we stop today, let's take just a few minutes to look at the next piece of armor, the shield of faith. The Romans used three types of shields. One was a very large rectangular, sometimes oval, but it was a whole body shield. These were very effective at warding off attacks by arrows or stones. But they had one big disadvantage. It was really hard to carry one and wield a sword at the same time. So if all they needed to do was move and try to protect themselves, this was a great shield to use. But if they needed to fight, it wasn't so good. Sometimes Roman soldiers carried another kind of shield if they were on horseback. It was a smaller round shield, but it was very heavy. It had strong iron frames, but it was easier for movement than those giant shields, and it was easier to stay balanced, but it was heavy. Eventually, the Roman soldiers came to prefer a third shield. 
It was made of wood, covered with leather and canvas, so it wasn't as heavy as the metal frame shields, and it wasn't as cumbersome as those full-body shields. When they could, they would soak those shields in water, and sometimes olive oil, because olive oil has a very, it's very hard to catch it on fire, to make it more likely that they would succeed in quenching the flames with the arrows that had tips that had been set afire, which they sometimes ran into. So the shield would be firmly strapped to the soldier's forearm and make it nice and steady and sturdy, so he wasn't going to drop it. Well, God tells us that our shield is the shield of faith. And it's the next piece of armor given to us in Ephesians chapter 6. It's in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or arrows or missiles of the evil one. So, God's telling us here, Satan will attempt to shoot fiery darts at us, arrows, in the form of sometimes ugly thoughts, temptations, unbelief, maybe distracting thoughts. He can also use words spoken by other people as fiery darts. These can take the form of persecuting words, hateful words, critical comments, discouraging words, words that are maybe designed to create fear, harsh words, hurting words. Maybe they're curses, maybe they're lies, but they're words designed to bring us down, sometimes unintentionally on the part of the person speaking them. But without the shield of faith, these words can defeat us. But with the shield of faith, they can be quenched. They don't have any effect, just like that shield protects these soldiers. So it's important for us to realize, no matter what kind of fiery darts the enemy shoots at us, ultimately, in light of eternity, they're not going to be able to hurt us. More than once, God uses that metaphor of a shield to remind us that He Himself is our shield. He is our shield. He is our protector. He is our fortress. He is our strong tower. If you want to use more contemporary terminology, He's our nuclear bunker, <laughs> our fallout shelter. <laughs> he knows how to protect us from everything Satan tries to throw at us. So when He speaks of our shield of faith, He's not talking about just empty faith. Of course, it's faith, confidence in Him, trust in Him, the Creator God, who says, I'm your protector. So let's look at some of these verses again. I'll put a link to these shield verses when I post this study at aboundingjoy.com. And once again, let me remind you, this is God's Word. Listen to how they picture God as our protector. Luke 10, Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you, because he's protecting us. He's our shield. Psalm 84, God reminds us that he himself is our shield. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He is a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 18, here it is again. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. You see, he protects us. And my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I trust, my buckler. That's a kind of shield. And the horn of my salvation, my high tower, he protects us. The prophet Nahum, or Nahum, in chapter 1 said, The Lord is good. Look at this. A stronghold. He is our stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows them that trust in him. Psalm 32. You are my hiding place. You, God, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall compass me about with songs of deliverance. Psalm 119, 
You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 91, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord camps round about them that fear him and delivers them. Psalm 91 again, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Revelation 12, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. You see, the blood of the lamb is like a shield over us. We're protected by his blood, by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. First John 5, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You see, it's the shield of faith. And he's telling us here the faith that we have in him is what overcomes the world. He is our shield. We have victory in him. Our faith is in him. Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. God is our shield. He gives us the gift of faith. And our faith in him provides us an enormous protection from Satan's attacks. Well, we're not finished putting on the whole armor of God, but I think this would be a good place for us to stop today. By the way, are you beginning to notice, have you noticed how each of these pieces of armor portray an attribute of God's character? Every time we put on a piece of armor, we're putting on God himself. You, you see that? You know, the belt of truth. Well, God is the truth. He is our belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. God is our righteousness, right? Christ is our righteousness. So we're putting on Christ. The shoes of peace. He is our peace. The shield of faith. He is our faith. And our faith is in him. He is our shield. Next time we'll see that he's also our helmet of salvation. He is our salvation. Yes, but we've got to learn all these things. Okay. Stay in the battle, guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us how to engage in spiritual warfare. Thank you so much for giving us all this protective armor. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have neglected it and allowed Satan to win victories because we just didn't have our armor in place. Help us, Lord, to learn how to take up the whole armor that you provided. Help us to learn to obey this command. Lord, we know we're sinning against you when we just try to take the easy way out and refuse to discipline ourselves to put on this armor. So teach us, Lord, how to do this. Now, and Lord, I know uh, some people watching this right now have never even begun in this kind of thing. They've, they're just now getting started in spiritual warfare, and, and they have a long way to go. And Lord, please help them to be patient with themselves and with you. Lord, you're going to protect them. I know that, but you're also going to require all of us to grow in our ability to fight a good fight and to stay in the battle. You intend for us to learn these things as part of our preparation for eternity. We do not understand it all, but we know your word is true. And you've told us that we need to put on this armor. And you've told us we have real enemies. They're spiritual enemies. You've told us we're in a real spiritual war. So help us to take you seriously and to obey you and get better and better equipped to fight a good fight and stay in the battle until you call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.